Thank you. Good morning. Good to see you here today. Uh, you may not know me. Uh, I feel like I know you because uh, my wife and I grew up in this neighborhood and uh, have, have watched Desert Springs throughout our life. Um, I am grateful and honored to be here. I'm grateful uh, because as I've just kind of observed uh, this church, uh, you, you've just been a faithful presence in this community uh, for, for quite some time. And it's such a blessing. As an outsider, I could tell you, you are a blessing uh, to this neighborhood. And uh, I'm, uh, I'm, what, what we do here matters. What you do here matters. The hope that you proclaim, the way that you love each other, the way that you love this community well. Um, so I just, I'm, I'm grateful to be with you. Uh, also, I'm honored. Uh, I'm honored Caleb has become one of my dear friends. And uh, he's not only one of my dear friends, he's one of my favorite pastors in town. Um, I just, I love his heart. Um, he just has a vision for the kingdom. He truly loves Jesus, loves this city, loves you. Um, he has a humble heart. Um, when I'm around, uh, us pastors get together. Um, what you find is that he doesn't have an ego. He just cares. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm honored to be up here with him, or with him, uh, to be sharing the stage uh, with, uh, with Caleb as he's up at, at our church plant up in Desert Ridge um, because he's just such an inspiration um, uh, to me. And, uh, and then um, it, it, what's wild is that he's also a Dallas Cowboys fan. And uh, yeah, you maybe could clap for that. My thought was like, how does someone with such a good heart, you know, go that way or be like that. And uh, as, as I was getting ready to preach in the, in the first service, the team took me to the back. And I guess Caleb has like a kind of a prayer closet back there that he gets ready for sermons. And so I was back there kind of praying. And I noticed that in this room, there's a table and there's a mirror and there's a Dallas Cowboys jersey just hanging there. And I'm like, what is going on back here? Like, does he like put that on before he preaches, you know, and like looks in the mirror, like gets himself pumped up? I don't know. It's a, rem- it's a reminder that we all need Jesus. <laughs> that all of us have fallen, right? And uh, no, but I, it's an honor. So I, I'm grateful to be here with you today. I'm honored um, just that, that Caleb would, uh, uh, he's built this relationship with, with our church and with our staff. And, and uh, your, your staff here is just truly a blessing and an encouragement to us. So um, on the night that Jesus was to be betrayed, he was sitting around a table. And he was having a meal with his disciples. And this just wasn't any ordinary meal. The meal that he was having was sacred. Uh, it was symbolic. It represented salvation for God's people. And as Jesus was communicating to his disciples, as he was heading towards the cross, he was communicating to them what God was doing in this world through him. And he used a table and a meal to describe salvation. And they had this understanding of what this meal meant, and Jesus takes it to this deeper understanding. And the scripture tells us that he broke bread, he gave thanks to God, and he gave the bread to his disciples, and he said, this is my body given to you. This is my body given to you. Everything changes around this table. Bread has a way of representing God's grace, and we find this throughout the scriptures. And uh, this this bread that Jesus used symbolically here, I want to go back that this story is really old. It goes back to uh, Exodus chapter 16. We'll start in there today. Exodus 16. Uh, Starting in verse 1, it'll be on the screen or if you want to follow along in your Bible. It says that the whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came across and came to the wilderness of Sin, or Sin, if you want to mispronounce that correctly, um, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. 
In the wilderness, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. It's kind of dramatic, right? What's interesting is, if you know the context of this story, you will be reminded that these these people of God were were enslaved, enslaved by the Egyptians for 400 years. And in this time, they, they worked for the Egyptians. They built brick without straw. They didn't have days off. And who knows, maybe they built the pyramids. We don't, we don't know, but we know that they worked as slaves and they cried out to God to deliver them year after year after year. And then finally, God sends this Charlton Heston-looking fellow named Moses, right? And uh, he, he tells the Pharaoh that it's time to go. All these plagues come. Uh, the, we have the, the Passover We have them eventually leaving Egypt, the Egyptians pursuing them into the desert. They go to the Red Sea, the Red Sea opens, they cross, they get to the other side, the Red Sea collapses, washes away those things that enslaved them, the Egyptians. Miracle after miracle after miracle of God delivering his people from the most powerful empire in the world. Now this story takes place some 40 days after they have experienced all of this after they have seen God deliver them in impossible ways from this empire, and they're in the desert, and they don't have food, and they're starting to freak out. In fact, their lack of food has led uh, to, uh, the food crisis has led to a faith crisis. Now, they're, they're calling out, accusing Moses of bringing us out here, just, and it's like they've completely forgotten all of the good things that God has done for them. Now, part of that's understandable. They're worried about their life. They're fearful for their children. And at the same time, there's something that happens here um, that I find myself doing all the time. Sometimes when we, we, uh, we're, we're taking a new journey, God's doing something new in our life, we, we, you know, we, we've moved into this new season, we just expect that everything's going to go great. And we forget that life is challenging. Life is difficult. For the Israelites, leaving Egypt doesn't just solve all their problems, it creates new challenges for them. And God's people early on learn that, that, uh, that, that life is difficult and God is with us. I think the early church uh, realized this uh, in the book of Acts. New season, new thing God's doing, but it's still difficult. I know my wife and I, how many times that we thought that we've transitioned to a new season or um, a, a new thing and that it was just going to go great and smoothly and all of a sudden uh, resistance hits us. Maybe you've experienced that with like going to a new job and, and then all of a sudden it wasn't what you thought it was going to be and it's challenging. Maybe it's a new relationship. And we go from season to season and we think, oh, this new thing is going to be good and then we're reminded that life is difficult. I wonder how we respond in the midst of those challenges. I don't know about you, but I, uh, this story resonates with me because I like to grumble about my circumstances as well. I like to complain. I'm good at it. I think it's a spiritual gift. I'm not sure. Um, But I can find everything that is wrong with the world. I can find everything that's wrong with the church. I can find everything that's wrong with the Phoenix Suns. And there's a lot of things wrong with the Phoenix Suns right now. Um, It makes, my wife says it makes it great to be married to, you know, just my complaining. And I think in my mind, like, I'm doing this and I'm thinking it's wisdom, uh, but really it's just cynicism. I could point to all the things that are wrong with the world around me. 
And here we have God's people after they've been delivered from the Egyptians in the wilderness, finding themselves in challenging circumstances and then grumbling against Moses and Aaron. And Moses says, you're not only grumbling against us, you're grumbling against God. Life's challenging. How do we respond in the midst of those circumstances? Um, there's a, a great book that I read a couple of years back uh, called Living into Community by Christine Pohl. Um, and she talks about how, how communities thrive together. What does healthy community look like? She says one of, the, one of the things that just absolutely destroys healthy community is grumbling, complaint, murmuring. Uh, this is something that, that usually starts as a whisper and it grows. And uh, she says uh, a couple things about grumbling. I want to read this. It says, in our communities, ingratitude can take another deadly form, grumbling, and complaint directed at God or others. And in the familiar story of the Exodus, the children of Israel experience a series of extraordinary miracles in the rescue of Egypt. But soon they find themselves stuck in the wilderness, where they grumble and remember inaccurately. And they take a posture of complaint against God and Moses. They remember their previous situation in Egypt as better than it was, and they do not see the benefits they are receiving in the midst of a difficult situation. Even more problematic, their murmuring reflects a breaking of a covenantal bond with God who has rescued them and provided for them. She goes on to say this, grumbling is highly contagious within communities. An occasional complaining and dissatisfaction can become a way of life. Complaint is often overgeneralized, and soon everything seems unsatisfactory. While gratitude makes us more sensitive to the gifts that other people bring into our life, discontent blinds us to what we've been given. Discontent blinds us to what we've been given. No longer sensitive to what God is doing in our story. This old German scholar says this, that the lack of discernment of God's presence in the ordinary leads to a denial of God's activity in the extraordinary. These Israelites have been set free from Egypt. They have freedom. And here they are within 40 days or so, murmuring, complaining. They find themselves in circumstances and it just becomes something that is very toxic for their community as they grumble, as they murmur. It's interesting because you wonder, when they're doing this, how does God respond to it? What does God do? After, I've, I've done everything for you, I've, I've, I've given you your freedom, I've set you free from this impossible situation. Now, I, I know how I would respond to it. I know what, what I would do, but what surprises me here is what God does. In verse 9, it says, Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. That sounds a little ominous. My thought is like, oh boy, here we go. They are in for it. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Uh Uh-oh. But then he says this, Tell them at twilight, you will eat meat, and in the morning, you will be filled with bread, and then you will know that I am the Lord your God. What? God hears their grumbling. God hears them complaining. These people that he's done everything for, and he shows up, and you know what his response is? Provision. In the midst of their grumbling, he provides bread. 
unexpected provision, unexpected grace. In the midst of them complaining. And sometimes we, we forget about the goodness of God. That he would show up and give life in this way. I don't know about you, how I respond to grumbling. Uh, my wife and I have four children. Twelve, nine, six, and three. It is a fun time in life. It is an exhausting time in life. Everyone tells us, you know, the days are long and the years are short. And it's true. Uh, they also, we've heard from so many of our mentors that enjoy every moment of this life because it's going to just, you know, fly by. And so, you know, one thing that, that someone told us is one of the best things you could do for memories for your children is just go on trips together, summer vacation. And uh, we're like, okay, so last summer we were going to have this epic summer. We were going to take our kids. We were going to have a blast. We were going to get out of town, create memories. We went to Michigan. My wife's dad lives in Michigan, went out to a lake house there. Um, then we got home and we went to San Diego and went to the beach. And it was epic. It was this incredible couple trips, cool weather, great water. Loved it. We get back from these trips. The first day that we're back, you know, it's 110 degrees. We're sitting inside and my kids say, I'm bored. We never get to do anything fun. And I'm like, wait, wait, is that a grumble? What's going on here? You're complaining? And, and in my mind, I'm like, are you kidding me? Do you know what we spent to go on these trips? You know what? Like, uh, we, we, this was, we had planned this summer for, for months. We were, this was an amazing, you should be so happy and blessed that we took you on these trips. And you know what I was thinking is like, that's it. Next year, vacation's canceled. Because you don't enjoy it. You don't like nice things. You're not going to get, and, and here's my response to grumbling is like, that's it. I'm cutting you off. Good luck with college, right? Like, in this story, God shows up with bread. There's this conversation happening with God and Moses. He's like, all right, here, here's what I'm going to do. And it says this. He says, I'm literally going to make it rain bread. It sounds like God's like up in the club. Like, I'm going to make it rain bread. This unexpected provision and grace. In the midst of their grumbling, God provides manna. Bread is this reminder of God's grace, his provision. In the people of Israel, we look at that and we say, they don't deserve that. This is a story about God's goodness. You know what grace is? A gift. It's not something that the Israelites deserved. It wasn't based on their goodness or their merit. It was based on the goodness of God. And in the midst of their grumbling, he shows up and says, here's bread. Here's bread. We fast forward to the New Testament. This narrative about bread continues. And there's this story that kind of has this weird echo to the Exodus story. When Jesus begins his ministry, he's baptized in Matthew chapter 3. And then he goes out into the wilderness. And it's when you look at some of the parallels with with Israel, you know, they, they go through the Red Sea, the things that, they, they come out from the other side, they go into the desert, uh, they get hungry. In this story, Jesus is baptized, he goes out to the wilderness to be tested. And we find that he goes without food. I'll just, I'll read the story, it says in Matthew 4, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, naturally. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, people do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Very similar story to this Exodus story. Jesus is hungry. 
And here we have this temptation from Satan to take bread. And Jesus says, no, there's something else here going on here. It's almost like in this story what Jesus is saying is there's like a physical need, a physical hunger that we have, but then there's more. And in the life of Jesus, there's something spiritual, there's something eternal, this need that he is starting to to fulfill, to bring about salvation for The bread narrative continues in John chapter 6. This is right after Jesus feeds the 5,000, right after he walks on water, he retreats, and the disciples and all these crowds chase after him. They're trying to catch up with him and understand what he's doing through these miracles of feeding the 5,000 and providing this provision. And they're talking to him. They're like, what is going on here? Who are you? What's going on? And give us a sign. Moses gave a sign. Like, give us a sign. And they have this conversation in John chapter 6. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, It is not Moses who has given you bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So Jesus reaches back and he talks about this manna story with Moses. And he starts to expand on it. And they say, sir, always give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus starts to talk about this hunger that we have. There's this physical hunger with with bread, but then there's more. And what Jesus is saying is there's something inside of our soul that hungers, and the only thing that will satisfy it is God. We hunger. We thirst. And Jesus shows up to give us life, to satisfy the hunger of our soul. He brings about salvation, and it's a gift. And what's unique about this gift is much like the Israelites, we don't necessarily deserve it. We don't deserve it. It's about God's goodness and his character and his love for his children. You might say that in the midst of their grumbling, in this Old Testament story, God provides bread. The story with Jesus is that in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our grumbling, God provides salvation. Grace. Unexpected grace. One writer of the New Testament said, in the midst of our sin, Jesus loves us. While we were still sinners, Jesus loves us. Salvation is a gift. This is where true life is found. And Jesus is sitting around a table with his disciples. And he starts to talk about this salvation. He takes a piece of bread, he gives thanks, and he breaks it. He says, this is my body given to you. Everything changes around the table. A couple years back, I was uh, hiking Camelback Mountain. And I I grew up here in Phoenix. I love to hike. I will hike year-round. I like to hike in the summertime. Um, It's crazy. My my wife's always concerned that I'm going to be, like, rescued by a helicopter one of these days. But um, I like to go out in the middle of the summer and hike. My favorite hike here is Camelback Mountain. And uh, a couple years back, I was hiking Camelback, and I'm pretty competitive in nature. So, like, what I do when I hike Camelback is I find people that I think might be able to beat me, and I try to beat them. 
And if you've ever hiked Camelback, there's people going up and down. There's this place where there's this railing where you can uh, get up this really steep incline. And I remember like getting to the top and looking back down and there was this man uh, who was coming up behind me and he was, he was thin. It looked like he was probably like a distance runner. That was the type of body that he had, was a distance runner. And uh, my thought was like, okay, this is a guy. I, I can't let this guy beat me to the top. And so I like took off and uh, the whole time I'm kind of watching him like close in on me. And, and, I, and I, I, he, it's one of those things when you're hiking, you could tell like, you know, there's a little competition going on. So he ends up catching me at one of the, the peaks and we go together and uh, we're, we're, we're going and then we start a conversation, we're talking and, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor and I love it when people don't know that I'm a pastor because I hear all sorts of interesting things. And, uh, and so I'm like hearing all these interesting things and, you know, we get to this other peak and we're at the final stretch of the, of the mountain of the, to get to the peak and he just takes off. And I try to catch up with him, and I just exhaust myself. And it's hot outside, I feel dehydrated, I'm getting like blurry vision, and I'm like, I can't do it, I can't keep up with him. And I keep going, and I finally, I get to the top, and he's standing up there, waiting for me, and he has a flask in his hand. And he goes, welcome to the top. He goes, would you like a shot of tequila? <laughs> and I was like, no. <laughs> like, I'm about to pass out. Are you kidding me? If I did that, that would just burn a hole in my stomach. There's no way I want tequila. He goes, okay. And I'm like, wait a second. Why are you taking a shot of tequila? Like, what in the world is going on here? And he started to tell a little, <laughs> he said, I'm glad you asked. He said, I, I, uh, I do this like once a week. And I invite people to take a shot of tequila with me. And I'm like, okay. And he goes, well, so here's Here's what I, I, I'm from South Dakota, and, uh, and I, I had a life in South Dakota that was terrible. He goes, it's really cold there. It's dark. I was depressed. I wasn't proud of the things that I had done. And then I met someone, a girl. Started dating her, fell in love. And I moved to Phoenix. I moved away from South Dakota. And it changed my life. We were in love the sun was shining. I loved being here. She recently passed away. She died of cancer. And it was horrific. And I watched her atrophy away. And now that she's gone, I wanted to do something to just honor her memory. So we both worked for Patron. And every Friday we'd hike Camelback Mountain and we'd go home, we'd drink margaritas on the porch, talk about how great life was. I can't do that with her anymore, so I decided that once a week, I'm going to come up here, get to the top of Camelback Mountain, take a shot of tequila to honor her, to honor her memory, and to tell everyone about how she changed me. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, as a pastor, like, like all these, like, things go off, like, I want to Jesusify the story. Like, <laughs> this, this is amazing. And I'm like, sure, I'll take, I'll take a shot of tequila with you. And like, I don't remember how I got down from the mountain that day. Just kidding. <laughs> but for this, for this man, there was something that he was doing here that, that for him, he had met someone. It had changed his life. He was, he, and, and I remember him saying, like, I don't, this is my new life. I'm in Phoenix. So I'm not going back. And he did this thing because it was so meaningful and sacred to him. When we think about our story, when we think about how we were in darkness and we have met someone, named Jesus, who has changed our life. 
He invites us to this table to partake in something that is sacred, that is more than a ritual, that is, that is something that honors this memory of what Jesus has done for us, that he gives us bread. He says, do this in remembrance of me. For you were once in darkness, and now you are not in darkness. You once had a life that I've pulled you out of. There's something that changes at the table. This life that Jesus offers to us. And we celebrate it through communion. A couple things, Desert Springs. One, next week, you've been going through this series about the table. Everything changes at the table. There's a communion service uh, next Sunday. There's, there's not going to be a 9.30 service. There's going to be an 11, and then there's a communion service. I believe it's outside. Um, Caleb knows about that. I'm not just making that up. Um, it's a time for this church to remember, to honor, to celebrate this gift of salvation. Everything changes when we meet Jesus. Maybe today you've never received this gift. You're invited to the table. This gift of salvation is grace. It's not based on what you've done, where you've been, who you are. It's based on God's love for us. Maybe today you need to come to the table and in the midst of circumstances that have just just clouded your vision of what God's doing. You find yourself grumbling, you find yourself bogged down, you find yourself with the weight of the world on you today. And you need to be reminded that there is life, the presence of Jesus. And you need to just come and say, Lord, bring back this joy of my salvation. I need to be grateful to be sensitive to what you're doing in the ordinariness of life. All the things that I grumble about, complain about, Lord, let me come today and feel the newness of life with you. I'm not sure where you're at today, but we're going to celebrate with a time of communion, this sacred act where we remember that we were once in darkness and we were pulled out of life. In the midst of our grumbling, we received this unex- unexpected grace. In the midst of our brokenness, salvation comes through Jesus.